All right, I'm going to be coming from the book of Luke, chapter 8. And uh, we're going to read the entire passage first, from verses 4 through 18. Luke 8 and 4. He says, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it, and some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. And another fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and take away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. No man, when he hath lit, lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under the bed, but he sets it on a candlestick, that they which may enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that should not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. And I'm going to talk about the sower and the seed, and if I had a subtopic, I would name it, call it, Be Careful How You Hear. So a parable... The word parable means to cast alongside. A parable is a story that teaches something new by putting the truth alongside something familiar. The people knew about seeds and soil, so the parable of the sower interested them. Those who were indifferent or proud would shrug it off. Our Lord's parables aroused the interest and concerned of the concerned. A parable starts off as a picture that is familiar to the listeners, but as you carefully consider the picture, it becomes a mirror in which you see yourself. And many people do not like to see themselves. This explains why some of our Lord's listeners became angry when they heard his parables and even tried to kill him. But if we see ourselves as needy sinners and ask for help, then the mirror becomes a window through which we see God and his grace. And to understand a parable, 
and benefit from it demands honesty and humility on our part, and many of our Lord's hearers lack both. So if we're going to understand the parable, live by the parables, we got to have honesty and humility. We got to be willing to look into the parable, which then reflects ourselves. But as long as we can see ourselves, even though most people don't want to see themselves, but we got to realize that the longer we can stare into a mirror that God puts in front of, not not somebody else putting in front of you, but if God puts a, a mirror in front of you, And if you look at it long enough, and if you start to receive the words of his parables and his teachings, then you would really start to see God because you created in God's image. The longer you look at yourself and start to form yourself according to the parable and the words of God, then you will start to see God because we are his image. So I want you first to notice that this is not a parable about the soil. Most people talk about being a good ground saint, being, you know, I'm, I'm this kind of soil, I'm good soil. This parable is not about the soil at all. In fact, Matthew's version of it, Jesus titles the parable himself. He says, hear now the parable of the sower. So it's not the parable of the soil. This is really about the one that's doing the sowing. If we take the attention off of him, What good is whatever it is going to grow? He never worries about losing or running out of seed because he has plenty of seed to go around. He lays out in this parable that there's going to be four kinds of ground, four kinds of soil. It's going to be a wayside soil, a rock, thorns, and good ground. Also, we should note that the seed without the soil becomes fruitless and the soil without the seed becomes useless. There's no need for the word of God if there are no hearts for the word of God to penetrate. There's no need for the heart if that heart never meets or runs into the word or the mirror of God. So the joining of the two becomes the source of life. So let's deal with the first one. He planted seed and some fell along the wayside. And the result of those that fell on the wayside was that they were devoured. I'm pretty sure that wayside was not the intended ideal destination of the sower. I'm sure the sower did not go out and say, you know what, let me sprinkle some seed on on this walkway. Let me just sprinkle some, some seed along, you know, the 405 or the 5. Just grow some stuff along along the highway. The seed just happened to fall as he was on his way to the field. So God really doesn't, he's not so much concerned about losing his word. Because his word is so vast, it's going to make its way around anyway. So the nature of the seed is that it's fine enough to slip through the fingers and the excess is easily spilled. The word of God is so organic that it easily seeps out. There's hardly a place you can go on this earth without God's word finding you in one way or another. The psalmist says, where can I go? If I ascend to the heights, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I go to the farthest corners of the earth, you're there. I just can't get away from something that is ever present. 
and the word of God is ever present. It is the essence of God and we can never get away from it. So Matthew 13 and 19 says, the heart, another thing about the parable I want to say, because you hear people, they'll read the first part of a parable. Now with Jesus's parables, most of his parables, he explained himself. But you will see some people read half of the text and then go off on this whole nother tangent <laughs> trying to make metaphors out of a parable when Jesus explains what he meant by the parable. So we don't need to go into, oh, what did he mean by the seed? Oh, I'm going to sow a seed. He tells us. So uh, I'm going to read Matthew's version of, of one of these. I'm going to go back between probably uh, Luke and Matthew between these, uh, the way he explains it. But in Matthew 13 and 19, he says, the hard path where some of the seed fell, which was the, the wayside, represents the heart of a person who hears the good news about the kingdom and doesn't understand it. Then Satan comes and snatches away the seeds from his heart. Now, I, my mind would say, if he doesn't understand it, leave him alone. Why do you have to steal the word from him if he doesn't understand it anyway? Because Satan knows that if you hang around that word long enough, you'll start to get an understanding. It may be dead to you now, but if you keep reading that scripture, if you keep quoting that scripture, after a while, you are going to get an understanding and you'll have power over the enemy. Luke 8 and 12 explains it. Jesus says the hard path where some seed fell represents the hard hearts of those who hear the words of God. But then the devil comes and steals the words away and prevents people from believing and being saved. Satan is ever on the job of searching for anyone he can devour. That's what he does day and night. He does this by taking the word from us before it could take root. And there's a lot of ways that he can do this. There's a lot of, of ways. And, and he really appeals to each person's individual likeness and vices, their proclivities. He, he knows how to appeal to the fallen nature of man. Now, this is an important thing because when he talks about the wayside or he talks about the, the road of this particular heart, he's really not dealing with what we know today in our society as a paved road. I don't know if anybody's ever uh, had family that lived in like a, a country kind of setting. I, I wouldn't even call it country, but there's just, you know, empty fields. And at one point, the fields has tall grass going through it. And eventually, you know, the kids that want to get from one part of the neighborhood to the other, they will cut through the field. Once one cuts through the field, then another cuts through the field. They say, hey, this is a shortcut. Then before you know it, you've got a whole path going through this. So this is how the path is created. A path becomes hard by the foot traffic that accumulates over time. One person starts the path, 
others immediately follow, and this creates a cycle. So what was once a soft, pliable soil becomes hard because so many have trampled on it. He's talking about the heart. That the reason why God's word cannot penetrate some people's hearts is because their hearts have been trampled on by so many people. Once one person is used and abused, others follow suit. Becomes a cycle. We see it all day long. Where the victim gets blamed and the victim becomes, you know, the outcast of the family. So this seed is the wayside. The heart gets devoured. These are the people we try to reach with the word of God. But you say to yourself, I can't understand why they can't receive God's love. It's because their hearts have been devoured because it's been trampled on. And that cycle, who did he say comes and steals the word? The devil. That cycle of trampling on, on another person's heart, that's the devil. It's the work of Satan. This is why we got to take a stand in society. Because what we end up with is the Bible says in the last days that man's hearts will fail them for fear. The next one, Matthew 13 and 20 says, the shallow rocky soil represents the heart of a man who hears the message and receives it with real joy. He says the joy that they have when they receive it is real. It wasn't faking. They wasn't playing around. They wasn't faking church. They were really happy when the word came to them. But he doesn't have much depth in his life. And the seeds don't root very deeply. And after a while, when trouble comes or persecution begins because of his beliefs, his enthusiasm fades and he drops out. So this heart, the rocky heart, lacks root. It lacks depth. It looks like soil on the surface. But the only way to tell is, is, is the roots that need to go down. This person is emotional. He said he received it with joy. That's an emotion. When the trials come, his enthusiasm fades. That emotion. That's the emotion. We've seen them come in. They get the Holy Ghost. They run around the building. They're so happy, man. They're on fire. They're jumping through the whole message. But a lot of the ones that come in like that have quickly went out. Why? The Bible tells us when you, when you come in and you, you, you just play the emotions of it, feels good. I get a high when I come to service. Yeah. And people think that your excitement means that you're a strong Christian. This one says this one had no depth. You, you got nothing where the roots can really go down and grab hold. Now, some rock can have a thin layer of soil grow on it. I don't know if, it, if you've ever seen a rock that has like a green layer of, of soil. So it can grow on there. And with this, there's enough for a shoot of some plant or some sort to grow up. You can see it grow up, but... Be, when the roots can't get, it can't penetrate the hardness of the rock and the sun starts to beat down on it, it withers. 
Now, the first one on the path was devoured, but this one withers. See, the hearts have different outcomes for the word in this parable. So sun is good for plants if they have roots. If there's no roots, the sun will wither that plant because all the moisture is in the soil, even in the desert. Deep down, some deserts have been found to have the most plenteous wells underneath. Persecution and trials can deepen the roots of a true Christian, but it only exposes the shallowness of a false Christian. When the sun comes and beats on you, we will tell whether you wither or whether you grow. And there are some who have left us, but the Bible says they were never of us. Why? Because they were these rocky saints. They, they got emotional. They looked like they got the same shout as you. They looked like they got joy unspeakable and full of glory. And they, have, they got all this, this power when they run around the building in our presence. But they got no depth. They wither. And a lot of times, it's, it's not just, you know, they just lose it overnight. There's usually a struggle with this crowd that comes in. They start to battle this and they start to, you know, question that because now their friends are saying, man, you, you, you crazy going over there to that group. Jesus freak. And they, they call you all kind of things. And you, you only want to you, you're more interested in the word of God than you are in, in the World Series and stuff like that. You, you, you're more concerned about your end where, than the end of a story on a soap opera. A lot of people don't understand that. And those are just, you know, little minuscule examples. But a lot of people notice a difference in somebody when they first get saved. Because for, for most, it's a radical change. It's something that like really just rocks their world. The next group is the thorns. Matthew 13 and 22 says the ground covered with thistles represents a man who hears the message but the cares of this life and his longing for money choke out God's word. And he does less and less for God. First Peter five and seven says, let him have all your worries and cares. For he is always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from Satan. Your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion looking for some victim to tear apart. So this heart has a little depth to it. It's not like the, the, the stony heart. This one's got depth. It, the, the roots can go down. The soil has enough room for those roots to go, go in and spread out. But the problem with this one is that above the ground, the planter didn't clear the field around what he wanted to plant. So there's room for the roots to grow, but for the plant to grow up and out, there's no room for that. It's crowded. It's been planted among weeds and thorns. It gets intertwined. It doesn't have its own place. See, when God calls us, he, he has a place for us that we don't have to compete with somebody else. He makes room for each of his children. So this one is crowded. 
there isn't enough room for the plant to grow up and out. And that represents the cares and stress of life and the desire for riches. A lot of people don't think that caring and becoming stressed out is in direct competition with God's will for your life. That's a thorn. And the end result of this one is that it's not devoured. It doesn't wither. It gets choked. Choking is something that is kind of violent and invasive. It, it, it kind of ensues upon you and just, it, it doesn't ask you for permission. It just comes in your life. And before you know it, you can't even meditate on God. You can't really commune with God. You can't talk to God because, Lord, I, I'm so busy trying to worry about tomorrow that I don't have time to commune with you today. My life is crowded. My spirit's crowded. My heart is crowded. And it's being choked out. The next one is the good ground. Now this heart has four stages. It hears. It understands. It receives. And it produces. Now, as long as I've been in church, I have never ever met a saint that did not place themselves in this category. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say, oh, I'm a stony saint. I never heard anybody say, oh, I'm a, I'm a thistle kind of saint. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wayside saint. I'm a rock saint. That's, that's what I am. I'm, you know, my heart is, is like a rock. You only, you only meet good ground saints. But the deal here is, at some point in your life, you've been all four. Hopefully, you've been the last one. Because probably... Less of us have been this last one than we would care to think. Luke 8 and 15 says, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So the nutrients of this heart, of this soil, because nutrients matter. You can't take just any old dirt and grow stuff in it. Some, some soil has to be treated and prepared and plowed. Some have to, to allow that soil to go through a phase. I remember uh, looking at, at the footage of a particular case where the guy wanted to um, have a farm where they had uh, milk. You know, he grow, grows on, on cows and everything and sell it to his town. And there was a big hoopla. The people came in, the state officials, and, and kind of shut them down. And I remember him saying that when he first bought the land, that his land had to go through a purging. His cows couldn't feed on the grass that was in that soil because that soil had too many chemicals in it from the last farmer. He wanted to grow an organic farm. And an, an organic form has to be prepared. So he said they had to sit a long time and let all that stuff die and take it out. Prepare the soil for the organic stuff so the cows could produce organic milk. That's what God sometimes has to do. He has to prepare our heart, get some dirty stuff out of the soil of our hearts and prepare us. 
But the thing in this one is that this heart of the good ground, he says, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word and kept it. So you need honesty for this particular kind of saint. You need a good heart and you need patience. These are the three qualifying things that will allow you to produce more fruit. Now, the problem with that is there's so much duality and dishonesty amongst us. Paul tried to tell us, lie not one to another. Confess your faults to one another. Submit yourselves to one another. Don't talk about one, one another behind their back and tear them down. Don't let your heart be defiled. It is the honest and good heart that will always produce. Now, we can produce different kinds of fruit. One of the fruits is winning others to Christ. Romans 1 and 13 says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So that was a group that Paul won to Christ. Another fruit that we could bear is giving money for God's work. Romans 15 and 25 through 28 says, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Now, Paul's talking there. That's a whole nother topic right there, though. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, he calls it, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. The fruit can also be our good works. Colossians 1 and 10 says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Another fruit can be our Christian character. Galatians 5 and 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit, because this is really the only fruit we ever hear about, but that's why I'm reading the other fruits so we can know that, you know, there's other things to attain to. And uh, I'm not sure, uh, again, most saints will claim that they have all these fruits in Galatians 5. And by my experience with some of y'all, I would beg to differ. I'm just saying. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And then another fruit of the Spirit is our praise to the Lord. Hebrews 13 and 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, which Paul calls, or the Hebrew writer calls, the fruit of lips that confess his name. So our lips have fruit. So not everyone 
In this parable, he also notes, not everyone will produce the same amount of fruit. So we can't judge each other and compare how many people you want to the kingdom versus the next person. Because Matthew's version, he says some produce 30, some 60, and some 100. And then somebody wrote a lion song and said 99 and a half won't do. Well, he's receiving this 30. So you got people that if I'm less than 100, I must not be pleasing God. But the master said some produce 30, some produce 6. Now, we would consider 30% a fail. That's just a terrible thing to have. But 30% in God's kingdom, especially when you consider that we're dealing with only 25% of, the, of where the seed fell. And of that 25%, they produce 30, 60, and 100. So it's really just a fraction. But he already told us it would be a small flock. I don't get frazzled when it, uh, the room ain't full. We would like it to be full, but... God's word is powerful anyway. Amen. And then with this seed, he says, after you hear the word and keep it, he says you bring forth fruit, but he says with patience. Some people like patience. Some people like patience with the sinner. Well, you've been here, you've been here twice and you ain't got the Holy Ghost? Well, how long? Well, what are you waiting for? We don't have patience for the fruit to grow. See, we say we want an organic church. We say we want an organic experience with God. But then we, we, we want the kind of harvest that you could go into the store and say, well, these chickens were grown a lot faster. We shot them up with something so you could get your meal quicker. But down the line, you may come up with a little cancer here and there, but don't worry about it. It's FDA approved. And that's what we do. We sanction it. We, we, we say it, it's Christianity. Because I want to see that this church should, should grow fast. So instead of preaching conversion of the heart, now we have conferences all over the nation where we teach church growth. You're an ambassador for Christ. Just do what you're supposed to do. It'll grow. Patience. It takes a lot of patience when dealing with the planting and harvesting. Planting happens once, but watering must happen often. You got a lot of people that like to brag about planting. Think of a harvest. You drive down the five and you go through the country, the Californian country, and you see all these fields. And you see the, how a certain time of year, you see all these greens out there and all these trees and orange trees as you drive up north. They look beautiful. What do you think happened the most? The planting of the watering. The planting happened pretty much in one day. But it took a long season of watering. Had to water it every day. Not to flood it. You got to measure out the water. See, we don't have faith in the seed anymore. We, we, we don't. We, we have faith that, you know, and Paul said, I'm nothing and Apollos is nothing. Now, I've planted and Apollos is watered. 
But God is the one that gave the increase. Why? Because he's the one that not only produced the seed, but he also produced the water. Now, the water is the thing that has to get down into soil for something to grow. Jesus said on the great day of the feast, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. He says, I'll be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. When we don't allow the Holy Ghost to do the watering, what's going to spring up? Natalie talked earlier that, that those conversations that we think we're having with ourselves were actually having with Satan. And guess what? When that tree grows up, it's going to be a little Satan plant with little devil berries on it. And you'll be serving up devil berry pie because that's the kind of seed you have in you. That's what people serving. Full of the devil. The pie looks good sometimes. It smells good. Ooh, what is that aroma? It's Satan. So the seed. So between the four types of people, the seed is said to, number one, be devoured, to wither away, to be choked, or to bear fruit. Now, if we're not bearing fruit, we will most assuredly fall in at least one of the three other categories, if not all of them. Because there's no other choice. Now, the point of the parable that he gives them is for us to be so full of the word that we're dropping seeds all over the place as we sow. Now, sometimes we'll find a way to witness at the most unexpected times. Those conversations can happen so subtly. I just had this experience a couple of weeks ago. Guy just, out of nowhere, we just started talking about stuff. We happened to be the only two left in the building at the time. And we started, we talked for a whole hour. And he was telling me about when he got the Holy Ghost. And how God dealt with him, that he needed the Holy Ghost. And it's funny because God spoke to him about needing the Holy Ghost as he was fussing about somebody else about spiritual matters. And the other person during the argument went and burned the Bible in the middle of the argument. But after all that was said and done, he said, God spoke to his spirit and said, you need the spirit. That's the humility that I'm talking about that comes with the parable. If you're going to get something out of the words of Christ, then it, it, it's got to be done with humility and sacrifice. John 12 and 24 says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, we've always thought about seed producing fruit. But what we don't realize is that one seed can grow a, a fruit or a plant that not only produces the fruit, but within that fruit, it has multiplied itself in the fruit. One watermelon seed can produce a watermelon that has hundreds of seeds, and you can multiply exponentially that way. But we've come like the modern-day farmers. We want a fruit that doesn't have seed. 
We want seedless saints. Because I don't want you to go and witness for Christ. I want you to come and get all your information from me. Because I'm the only one that's supposed to sow seed around here. That's not godly. One person is supposed to put seed into one other, and that one other is supposed to go reach 50. Those 50 should go and reach 500 or 5,000. This is why the Bible says one can put a thousand a flight and two, ten. That's not just regular multiplication there. That's some kind of equation that God's dealing with. We call it algorithm. There's a spiritual algorithm to God's whole sowings of seeds. So a lot of times we don't, we don't say, oh, I'm producing seeds. We just say I'm producing fruit. But you got to realize that in your fruit, your fruit now is able to give birth to more fruit. So after the parable, and it's interesting because we always read the scripture that says, who sets a light, gets a light and hides it under a bushel. But that scripture is at the end of this parable. Why would he put that at the end of this parable? We've, we've always isolated. We've rarely read the entire passage about the light under the bushel. Because the point of the parable was that if you read the beginning of each of these chapters, the Bible says a great multitude came to flock to Jesus. And this is when he set out the boat and, and, and set out to see a little bit and preach from the boat. And there was a great multitude along the seaside listening to him. So the point of, of this is that he's telling them out of all this crowd, I'm not impressed. Because I realize that only 25% of them going to do anything for me. There's some waysides out there. There's some stony things out there. There's some thorny people out there. And there's very few good-hearted, honest people that I'm preaching to. So as disciples, so they won't take it the wrong way, says, now I'm not telling you this parable so you can hide the seed. You know, because the Bible said, don't cast your pearls among the swine. <laughs> now, that scripture's got to be put in kind. He's basically telling them, we never know who's in our midst. And just because you perceive that somebody is not listening, you got to preach and teach the word and live the word anyway. So that's why he tells them, don't take your light and hide it. Keep it up. I know sometimes we look at lessons and, and we get a wrong, twisted view of it. We say, man, that's a dark message. So after he tells them about the light, he tells them this in verse 18 of Luke 8. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even that he thinks he has will be taken from him. Consider carefully how you listen. The word here is used 550 times in the Bible. The word in and of itself is pure, converting the soul, but if heard wrong, it will convert nothing. Consider how carefully you listen. Being extremely careful how we hear is part of guarding our hearts. 
As Christians, we must be ever alert and keen to the sometimes still small voice of God in whatever method or setting it comes. You got to always be listening. Is this a message from God? Is God trying to speak to me through this person, through this circumstance, through this area, through this trial that I'm in? Is he trying to talk to me? Consider how careful you listen. One would think that by speaking in parables, Jesus is trying to hide certain things from the people. But our text proves just the opposite. Light was meant to be elevated and shined. And he was conveying that although that in number the crowd was huge, he realized that the majority of them would produce nothing. But he preached, he healed, he had compassion on them all just the same. Because he knew that 25% would one day turn the world upside down. So when you think you're wasting your time, ain't nobody interested in what I got to say. I, I thought I was doing the right thing, but if I'm doing the right thing, you know, I, I figured, you know, more people. The word is the same. The word can do the same for whoever shows up. Let us consider who he is that speaks to us, what he tells us, and the kind of attention which the truth revealed by him requires. And lastly, what it cost us to despise it. Sometimes we don't, we don't consider what, what, what is the cost of me not paying attention to this thing that could be the seed of God trying to come into my soul. Just want to read a little bit. I'll probably skip through some of this. But from one of the commentaries, he talks about the art of hearing. And he kind of speaks a little bit in Old English. For be ye well assured that this is an infallible sign that some excellent and notable good is toward you when the devil is so busy to hinder your hearing of the word, which of all other things he doth most envy unto you. Therefore, as he pointed Adam to another tree, lest he should go to the tree of life, so knowing the word to be like unto the tree of life, he appointeth you to other business, to other exercises, to other works, and to other studies, lest you should hear it and be converted to God, whereby the tribute and revenue of his kingdom should be impaired. Therefore, mark how many forces he hath been against one little scripture to frustrate this counsel of Christ. Take heed how you hear. First, he labors all that he can to stay us from hearing. To effect this, he keeps us at taverns, at plays, in our shops, and appoints us some other business at the same time that when the bell calls to the sermon, we say like the churlish guests, we cannot come. If he cannot stay us away with any business or exercise, that he casts fancies into our minds and drowsiness into our heads and sounds into our ears and sets temptations before our eyes that though we hear, yet we should not mark like the birds which fly about the church. If he cannot stay our ears nor slack our attention as he would, then he tickleth us to mislike something which is said. And by that makes us reject all the rest. If we cannot mislike anything which is said, 
then he infected us with some prejudice of the preacher or the speaker. He does not as he teacheth, and therefore we less regard what he says. If there be no fault in the man nor in the doctrine, then lest it would convert us and reclaim us, he curseth all means to keep us from the consideration of it until we have forgot it. To compass this, so soon as we have heard, he takes us to dinner or to company or to pastime to remove our minds that we should think no more of it. If it stay in our thoughts and like us well, then he hath this trick. Instead of applying the doctrine which we should follow, he turns us to praise and extol the preacher. He made an excellent sermon today. He had the notable gift. I never heard any like him. He which can say so hath heard enough. This is the repetition which you make of our sermons when you come home. And so to your business again till the next sermon come. A breath goeth from us and a sound cometh to you. And so the matter is ended. The Jews did hear more than all the world beside, yet because they took no heed to that which they heard, therefore they crucified him which came to save them. They became the cursedest people upon the earth, which were at one point the blessedest nation before. Therefore, the ABC of the Christian is to learn the art of hearing. There is no seed which groweth so fast as God's seed. If it be sown well, therefore, that I may show you that method of hearing which Christ commendeth here to his disciples, it is necessary to observe five things. First is the necessity of hearing. Secondly, the fruit which comes by hearing. Thirdly, the kinds of hearers. Fourthly, the danger of hearing amiss. And fifthly, that manner of hearing which will make you remember that which is said and teach you more in a year than you have learned all your life. Is not this the cause why God does not hear us because we will not hear him? Is not this the cause why ye are such doctors in the world and such infants in the church? You learn your trade in seven years but you have not learned religion in all of your years. Can you give any reason for it but this? You marked when your master taught you your trade because you should live by it. But you marked not the preacher when he taught you religion because you did not live by it. Come now to the danger by hearing amiss. Christ said, take heed how you hear. An evil eye engendereth lust, and an evil tongue engendereth strife. But an evil ear maketh a heretic, and a schismatic, and an idolater. This careless hearing made God take away his word from the Jews. Therefore you may hear the word, so as it may be taken from you, as the talent was from him that hid it. For God will not leave his pearls with swine. But as he saith, what hadst thou to do to take my words in thy mouth, seeing thou hatest to be reformed? Why are you coming to church but won't be reformed? 
Why are you going to conferences and you don't want your heart to be converted? The greatest treasure in the world is the most despised. The star which should lead us to Christ, the ladder which should mount us to heaven, the water that should cleanse our leprosy, the manna that should refresh our hunger, and the book that we should meditate on day and night lieth in our windows. No man readeth it, no man regardeth it. The love of God and the love of knowledge and the love of salvation is so cold that we will not read over one book for it. For all we spend so many idle times while we live. If Samuel had thought that God had spoken to him, he would not have slept. But because he thought that it was not God, but Eli, therefore he slept. So because you remember not that it is God which speaks, therefore you mark not. So we got to be careful when we say it's just a man. Because God has put this treasure in earthen vessels. So we got to be careful how we hear because you never know. He used a jackass to straighten out his prophet. But if you remember Christ is saying, he which heareth you, heareth me. And he which despises you, despises me. And you would hear the voice of the preacher as you would hear the voice of God. Now to show you how you should hear, when Peter and John would make the cripple attentive, they said unto him, look upon us. So many to sharpen their attention desire to stand before the preacher that they may look him in the face. By this little help, Peter showeth that we had need to use many helps to make us hear well. Christ in the beginning of this chapter sends us to the husbandman to learn to hear. As he prepares the ground before he sows his seed, lest his seed should be lost, so we should prepare our hearts before we hear, lest God's seed be lost. What a shame is this to remember every clause in your lease and every point in your father's will. Nay, to remember an old tale so long as you live, though it be long since you heard it and the lessons which you hear now will be gone within this hour, that you may ask, what has stolen my sermon from me? Therefore, that you may not hear us in vain, as you have heard others, my exhortation to you is to record when you are gone that which you have heard. How tricky is the devil that he would steal the word from us, that he makes us use all kind of excuses, and on the flip side of this, it's not, it's not my lesson in this one, but the flip side is that we as, as people that, that expound on the word of God really have to be careful how we expound as well. Because some people believe anything that comes over something that's called a pulpit or a platform or any place of authority to be taught. They believe it's gospel. And when that's tainted, you don't have organic cows you got some cancer-ridden animals going around. And I end with that. <laughs>